God bless you, every single one of you. It's good to see everyone who is here present. Thank you for, thank you for coming, and thank you for those who are joining online. We are blessed to have every single one of you here. God is good. Um, I don't know what you've been going through this week. Um, I finally finished my seminary work as a grad student, so that's good. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so I still have more schooling, but, but it's not going to be as uh, labor-intensive as it has been. So um, I went back to subbing, too. I subbed at different schools. Um, this week, so it's been an interesting week, but I, I think it's been a relaxed week, and, and I'm just thankful to God for what He's doing. Um, and as Elida mentioned earlier, too, I, I really encourage you to sign up for the volunteer. It's a great thing that Lloyd Memorial is doing, and something that we could do to help out within our community, whether it's just handing out water whether it's face painting and just making it awesome, um, whatever you could do. And there's like different hours. You don't have to stay there the entire time. You could just do one hour or two hours. It's, the, it's October 9th. And uh, basically what it is, it's a run. Um, they have different types of runs uh, for kids, for adults, for uh, people who are in wheelchair, just everybody. They're, they have different types of runs. And um, the point is that they are raising funds to help people, help women who um, have, like, to detect cancer, uh, breast cancer right away. They, what the funds is what they're planning to do is they're trying to purchase uh, a machine that could identify um, the tumors early on and it could help a lot. So if you want to help out with that, uh, feel free to let us know. Again, Elida has the sign-up sheet in the back and just spend a couple hours or so just helping out. Elida and I are planning to be there, so if you want to join us, that would be great. Um, so before going any further, let's just pray before we get into the sermon today, and, and then we'll listen to what God has to say to all of us. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace, Lord. You, you know what we've done, all of our shortcomings. Lord, and we, we can't move, we can't be blessed without your love and your grace. We need you. We need you. We need you. We need your grace. Let us become more and more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I recently read a Christian writer, his name is Platenga, who reminded me about something I think we all need to be reminded about. And it's, uh, I, read it, I read him, uh, his writings within a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, and it really inspired this sermon. I think that we could all say that we get annoyed. I hope. I think I missed out that too. Yeah, I missed. <laughs> yeah, you know, I rely so much on spell check, but... <laughs> Annoyed, yeah. All right, annoyed. We get annoyed. Um, we probably get annoyed every day. Somebody cut, cuts you off on the road. A customer was rude. The restaurant didn't have the best service, and you were just starving. All of these things could cause us to get annoyed. Another thing that's deeper than annoyance are 
regrets. Maybe you have regrets because of what you did as a child. Maybe you have regrets because of your educational decision. Maybe you have regrets because of your career choice. Further point than regret is what theologians have called miseries. And miseries are when you just maybe feel lonely, when you feel alone at home, when even when your family's there, but you just feel alone, and that could be a misery. Maybe boredom, that could also be a misery. Anxiety can be a misery. Feeling restless and bored while scrolling through social media can be a misery. These things, all of these things, annoyance, regrets, and miseries, they, they tell us that things are not as they should be. But something that brings more trouble than anything, than annoyances, than regrets, than miseries, is sin. Sin. And I'm going to be transparent with you today without holding punches, so please be prepared. Most of us have known each other for over a year, more than several years. Uh, so we have a level of trust and com we're comfortable with one another. But I just want us to talk about sin without holding back. Sin distorts our character. Sin is assumed to be part of our nature. Sin corrupts our thoughts, our emotions, our speech, and our actions. Sin is worse than any annoyance, any regret, any misery. Sin perverts what makes us human. It, sin distorts the image of God within us. Sin is what leads political leaders to commit fraud. Sin is what causes a peer to feel happy when his or her colleague received a bad feedback, a sour feedback. Sin is when a drug dealer plans to hook a fresh customer with drugs. Sin is when a teenager mocks his grandmother. Sin is when we look at others, have high standards for them, but give ourselves plenty of allowances. Sin corrupts us. And sin, to be honest, is the root of all miseries, all regrets, all annoyances. Because of sin, we experience loneliness, restlessness, shame, and meaninglessness. You want to know what is wrong with the world? You'll get a lot of answers. Maybe we don't have enough resources. Maybe climate change. The, the rich, they're getting richer. The poor, they're getting poorer. Weapons of mass destruction are available. These are certainly things that are a problem, but I, I like what Albert Einstein said about weapons of mass destruction, and you could see what he said within your notes. What terrifies us is not the explosive force of the atomic bomb, but the power of the wickedness of the human heart. What terrifies us is not the explosive force of the atomic bomb, but the power of the wickedness of the human heart. Sin within the human heart 
is the main human problem. Sin hurts and damages people. Sin is what leads a father to abuse his daughter and corrupt her. Sin is what causes an angry husband to hurt his wife. Sin corrupts that daughter and wife and makes it more likely for their children to be abused. Sin leads that daughter to abuse alcohol and more likely not find a stable marriage. Sin brings disease, accidents, and confusion. According to one scholar, thousands of third world children die daily from largely preventable diseases. Why? Out of laziness and complacency, certain grown-ups fail to prevent them. Out of sin, these grown-ups don't act to care for their children. And in the first world, thousands of first world children are born drug addicts. Why? Their mothers hooked, have hooked them in the womb. Sin is what leads all that. Sin is what leads people with STDs who are aware of their STDs. Sin is what leads them to put their partners at terrible risk. Sin happens every day. Today's message is not entirely gloomy. It's not sad, although it will be a bit gloomy because I, I want to speak about reality of what, what is, what's taking place. In reality, to be honest, it can be gloomy. It can be sad. But certainly, as Christians, we know that there is good news because at the center of the Bible, we see the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell us the lengths that God went to defeat sin and its wages, sin and its effects, sin and its consequences. We Christians should not be afraid about talking about sin because we know that it can be dealt with and it has been dealt with. It has been dealt with through the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, the physical ripping of his body the metaphysical effects of his death. It all demonstrates that sin is serious, but it also demonstrates that God has dealt with sin. Martin Luther correctly, correctly wrote in his hymn, From Deaths of Woe I Cry to Thee, it's Old English translated, um, and it says, Thy love and grace alone avail to blot out my transgression, the best and holiest deeds must fail to break sin's dead oppression. Before thee, none can boast standing, but all must fear thy strict demand and live alone by mercy. Though great are sins, though great are sins, yet greater still is God's abundant favor. His hand of mercy will... Never, never will abandon us nor waver. Our shepherd good and true is he who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. Though great are sins, yet greater still is God's abundant favor. Our sins are great, but God's grace is greater. 
Romans 5.20 says in the CSB, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. The NIV, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The NLT, as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace become, became more abundant. Eugene Peterson said in the message, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. Nevertheless, it's important to understand sin because it's still here. And while God has dealt with it and we can experience freedom from it, we're, we're in this in-between time where we are waiting for the ex execution of sin. On the cross, sin was sentenced to death. In the end, we will see sin die. It will be executed. But right now, we still deal with it. As Christians, sin is not the primary influence over our lives. The Spirit and the Word of God are. Yet, we still fail, we still fall, we still sin. So I pray that during our time together, we, we will understand sin. We will understand it through the Word of God. Sin can be seen as missing the target. That's one image of seeing sin. Another way of seeing, seeing sin is veering off the path, leaving the flock, straying from the fold. The Bible also tells us that sin is like a hard heart or a stiff neck. Sin is blindness and deafness. Sin, it could be overstepping the line or shortcoming or coming before. You can't even get to the line. Both transgression and shortcoming. Sin is a beast crouching at the door. Out of sin, people attack or evade or neglect their divine calling. The, these biblical images, all of the, these images that the Bible presents, should help us understand what is sin. Sin has been the biggest problem for humans since the very beginning. Today, we'll hone in on one aspect of sin, and it is the vandalism of shalom. In a movie, when a character's expensive car didn't work anymore, five boys tried to, tried to do some harm to the person while the person was waiting next to his broken car. But fortunately, the tow truck shows up at the nick of time, and the boys disperse. Then the tow driver said something I think we've all felt. Man, he says, the world ain't supposed to be like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. That dude isn't supposed to be, isn't supposed to hurt you. He's not supposed to try to rip you off or try to harm you. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. Everything's supposed to be different. I, I like Christianity. Because it recognizes reality instead of just ignoring it. You hear about a lot of 
philosophies, religions, and worldviews that ignore reality, ignore evil, ignore bad vibes. But Christianity recognizes that evil does exist. And it also recognizes that things should not be as they are. There is true evil. There is sin. Augustine, a, a super smart Christian, right after Paul in terms of intelligence, Augustine taught concerning the Christian understanding of the world. And foundational to his teaching was that the world, it has this design. There is a way things ought to be. God purposed and intended the world with this design, both in creation in the beginning and in the restoration of creation in the end. In God's intended plan, in, in God's intended world, there, there is supposed to be peace, justice, mutual respect, people desiring to do good. But ask yourself, is that how things are presently? You look outside in all the countries or across your city, do you see peace? Do you see justice? Do you see mutual respect? Do you see people desiring to do good? And while there are exceptions, and we're thankful that there are people who are seeking justice and trying to do good, most of us would say, um, I actually see the opposite. I see people bringing destruction and doing injustices. And that's because things are not as they should be. Humans have messed up the world, the balance of things. Our wrongdoings mars, taints, and corrupts the adult's workday, the child's school day, and every holiday. It messes up everything. Sin vandalizes what should be. When, as an example, uh, a third grader liked a girl, and nothing happens when they were in school, but they both graduated, and they meet again in a high school reunion and had some drinks. Some nostalgia happens, though both of them were married to other people, their evening climaxes in a room at the Marriott. Sin messes up marriages. Marriages are supposed to be a place where two love each other without corrupting their love with someone else. Sin corrupts things. The prophets of the Bible knew this. They repeatedly confronted Israel for its sins. But the prophets also dreamed of an age when human crookedness would be strained out, when rough places would be made plain, when the foolish would be wise, the wise humble. They dreamed of deserts flowering, the mountains with wine and no more weeping. Sleeping without a weapon at hand, people would work in peace and, and work effectively. Lambs could lie down with lions. All nature would be fruitful, filled with wonder. All humans would be close to one another in brotherhood and, and in sisterhood. All humans would walk with God, look to God, lean towards God, and delight in God. People would regularly shout with joy. The, the coming together of, of God, humans, and all creation in justice, in fulfillment, and in delight. This is what the Hebrews call, and this is an important word which you've probably heard me say, shalom. Shalom. And we translate that word as peace. But it's more than just 
the peace of mind or, or ceasefire. It's universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. It's how things are supposed to be. God, the physical world and its fullness and beauty, the human race, families, married couples, all together and flourishing. And God's shalom world, it works for every child of his. Nations and races would treasure differences in other nations and see other races as attractive, important, and necessary. Men would see women as equal. They would include them in making decisions and vice versa. Women and men equal. Government officials, officials would tell the truth and praise the virtues of other pu public officials. There wouldn't be negative comments under YouTube videos or Instagram posts or negative tweets. No gang violence or death. No fear of de deportation. No road rage. News outlets would have well-written accounts, accurate accounts of acts of great moral beauty. And the greatest thing is that God would be with humans in all his beauty. This is something we all long for. As a result of seeing God's beauty, we would glow with the love of Christ. Human communities of different ethnicities will come together in the name of God to be radiant and hospitable each with their unique cultural foods, each person with their accents, praising God and eating together. This is God's shalom. This is God's plan. But sin corrupted this plan. Sin is a, is a religious concept. That is, it, it comes from the Bible, and somebody who is not familiar with Christianity may have no idea of what sin is. A thief steals from a store, right? We as Christians would say that he has sinned. Non-believers would just say he committed a crime. But we say that he had sinned because we know that so much more is taking place. The criminal did not just steal from the store and break the law, but he has vandalized God's shalom. He has sinned against God. He has offended and betrayed him. Sin is not just about breaking laws, but it's about breaking a covenant. But yet, maybe you remember that word from our time in Malachi, this close relationship that we have with God. Sin harms that relationship. Think about that when you're about to sin. Sin mars your relationship with your Heavenly Father. No sin is disconnected from God. That is why in the Psalms when it says David sinned against Bathsheba, he sees it as primarily sinning against God. He finds mercy, of course, but he sees the gravity of his sin. He said in 51, Psalm 51, 1 through 4, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always done before you, is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done the evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge.
David had sinned against humans, but he recognized that his sin was connected to God. All sin is first and ultimately sin against God. God created this shalom world in the very beginning. Peace, order, justice, love. And your sin disrupts it, corrupts it, messes up the peace. You, when you sin, you are sinning against God. Any continuing thought, desire, emotion, word, or action that is sinful, it displeases God and deserves to be dealt with. Sin makes you guilty before God. Of course, when you are redeemed by believing the work of Christ and repenting of your sins, because of God's grace, you have gained this new position. He, God doesn't see your sin, but the, he sees the sacrifice of the cross. But still, it's important to note that God hates sin. He hates sin. Not because he's an angry person, but because sin destroys the peace. It breaks the peace. It interferes with how things are supposed to be. <coughs> because God is for shalom, because God is for flourishing, for you to grow, for you to love, because God is for justice because God wants peace. He is against sin. We may say sin, evil is anything that spoils, that vandalizes shalom, whether it's physically, morally, or spiritually. Ask yourself, have you disturbed shalom or have you preserved it? Ask yourself that. Have you disturbed shalom? Have you vandalized shalom, the peace? Or have you preserved it? We Christians have this vision of shalom, of peace, that comes from the Bible. And from the wor world we see and from reflection and wisdom, we, we, we have concluded that there are some things that easily vandalize shalom. Like, generally speaking, robbery, assault, Malicious gossip, fraud, blasphemy, envy, idolatry, and lying. All of these things destroy shalom. But we can build shalom. We can build peace by giving to the poor, embracing people, praising, harvesting, farming, th giving th thanks to God, complimenting people, saying the truth, and worshiping God. We also notice that people ought to love and obey God. We ought to marvel at God's greatness and, and praise Him because of this world of peace that He is bringing. And we should hate sin because it runs counter to the way things are supposed to be. Sin and godlessness, they are anti-shalom. Sin offends God because it bereaves him, since it assaults what God has made. Look at sexism and racism. These two things are sinful and wrong. Why? Well, because God created humans as equals. Sexism and racism show contempt and hate towards what God has created. God intended for people to be seen as equal, 
But whenever we are racist or sexist, we're committing a sin because it's not how things are supposed to be. It corrupts God's intentions. Sin is horrible. And as a side note, don't confuse sin with mere error like a, like a typo. The sin should not be confused with humanness. We have limits. We, we're finite beings. We are guilty for, for, not for being human, but for being sinful. As a human, Jesus died for us humans to save us from our guilt that comes from sin. God did not desire us to be sinful. He made humans. And if you want to see the truest, the, the most genuine human, look at Jesus. He is what a person is supposed to look like. Obviously, our lives don't look like his life, but we are supposed to follow him. He is the realest human that ever existed. We sin in different ways. All sin is wrong. All of it is equally wrong. But not all sin is equally bad. Actions that we do are either right or wrong, but some actions are better than others, and some actions are worse than others. Like adultery. Adultery in your heart and adultery in practice. If your heart is thinking about someone else than your spouse with lust, that is wrong. Just as adultery is wrong. But obviously looking is not as bad as actually sleeping with someone who is not your spouse. Certainly looking and fantasizing about someone who is not your spouse is a problem that needs to be dealt with. But adultery in a motel room is worse and it's harder to deal with. You know, you might covet your neighbor's car. That's wrong. You should be content with what you have. But stealing your neighbor's car is a bigger problem. You corrupt shalom when you do these actions. And you may do it intentionally or unintentionally. You can be prideful, envious, angry, lazy, lustful, without even trying to be sinful. These things grow naturally for us. We need to fight against these sins. And we are going to fall, but we need to fight and rely on God's love. The Bible tells us that we need outside intervention to control and count, uh, conquer our faults. We need prayer. We need community. We need accountability. And ultimately, we need, we need God's Spirit to fight. Hopefully, you want to fight sin. But it is possible that you might want to commit these sins. You want lust. You want to do anything to excite you. you. You don't just want sex, but you want the appetite for sex outside of the beautiful context God has given humans. I pray that you would see how you are vandalizing what God intended for you. God made sex to be a strong force between couples and, and a pleasurable force as a loving thing that God has given us. And the bond that sex produces should be nurtured in the context of marriage. If, you, if you're having relations casually, you're making strong bonds and then destroying those bonds. And it, and it perverts sex and it, and it affects you. 
You have this legitimate need, but you are fulfilling it in an illegitimate way. And now you want sex to meet other needs that sex was never meant to fulfill. Sex is a beautiful thing. God has made us as sexual beings, and he didn't have to make it as pleasurable as he did. But he did, out of love and for his people. And God made this beautiful expression and experience so that you could get closer to your spouse and and experience God's blessing on on this world, this euphoric experience. Sex outside of this context is a sin. It breaks shalom. It's not how things are supposed to be. It breaks this peace and design of God, and it does mess up with our chemical balances that are within us. But I end with this. If you have sinned in any way, what I recommend is this. Repent. We are all sinful. We have all messed up. No one here has gone a day without sinning. We have all sinned. Tell God that you are sorry and confess. Admit. Tell God, I have done this. And know that God sees you not as an angry person, but he wants to bring shalom. He wants to bring peace within your life. And he is loving and he cares for you. So believe that when Jesus died on that cross, he took all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your fear, so that you could be free. Get a hold of God's grace and start building shalom, peace. Try your best to bring the peace of God. If you need help stopping, find somebody who could walk with you. Try to identify patterns in your life that lead you to those sinful habits and try to stop those sinful habits. I I don't know if you've heard of HALT. It's an acronym and it stands for hungry, angry, lonely, and what is T? Um, (laughs) Tired, yes, thank you. Um, Yeah. I was like, tardy? No, (laughs) that's not it. (laughs) Tired, yes. But whenever you're like hungry or angry or lonely or tired, you're more likely to do things that that disrupt shalom. So try to find these patterns. And okay, I'm usually hungry. I I need to feed. I need to get my mind in the right place. I need sleep. Uh, I need these things. And take care of yourself. Stop deceiving yourself also and think that it's not bad. It is bad. Our sin is great, but God's grace is greater. Let's all pray as we get ready to worship. Heavenly Father, I, I pray for every single person here that they may be able to identify their sin, not because we want to condemn them and and just say that they're messing up. No, but so they could recognize that there are some things that are not bringing peace, that, are, is, that is stopping them from flourishing as God wants them to flourish, as you want them to flourish, Father. I, I, I pray that they may repent and turn away, that, that they may prioritize, reprioritize their life and have different values, that they may have values of justice, peace, and love, of fulfilling what you want for us, God. May you forgive us. 
And Lord, let us be reminded of your love, your love that looks at us not with an angry face, but with a gracious face, with open arms as a father. When we go to you and we start repenting of our sins, you're already there welcoming us with open arms. Let us be reminded of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.